Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you focus on senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader, or maybe you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. If you would, do me a favor. Share this episode with just one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. I had a fantastic conversation in this episode with Ken Fuquay, who, like many of you, enjoyed success in other professional sectors before moving into nonprofit leadership. Ken leads an organization called Lifespan, which serves more than a thousand individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities across 23 counties in North Carolina. And not only has Ken embraced nonprofit leadership, but he's a keen observer of the critical elements that help assure success. And Ken and I, in fact, unpack what he believes are the five keys to succeeding as a new nonprofit CEO. And they're definitely going to give you lots to think about no matter where you are on your leadership journey. Don't forget the show notes. This is episode number 121. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com and you'll find out all about this conversation, the resources discussed, and more information on Ken and the great work he's doing at Lifespan. Speaking of resources, check out our new podcast page. I'm biased, but I do think it looks sharp, as well as the rest of our website. Make sure you connect with us. Go to the bottom of the home page. Make sure you're on our email list, and we'll get all of the free resources we're putting together sent your way, including podcast episodes like this one. Also, remember, we're on all of the social media platforms, so follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and that will be another way we can stay connected. And by the way, happy to talk to you about your nonprofit organization. Perhaps we can help you with your strategic planning or fundraising, or I'd be happy to talk to you about your nonprofit leadership journey. Perhaps we could talk about a coaching arrangement. We could talk about some training that we're doing for staff and board members. And of course, I'd be happy to talk to you about our unique mastermind program, which is about to enter its fourth season in the fall of 2021. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ken Fuquay. Ken, thank you for joining me on the path. It's good to be with you, Patton. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited about this conversation, Ken. You've had a fantastic career journey. And like many of our listeners, you've come into nonprofit leadership after successful endeavors in other professional settings. So I'm eager to get your insight uh, as to some of those critical elements of nonprofit leadership, you've learned what you brought from your past experience. And clearly, this is going to help our listeners who are looking for practical advice, either in their current nonprofit leadership role or they're pondering, like you, going into a CEO role. So, thank you in advance for that, Ken. Let me start with this. You knew this question was coming. Uh, what are you most proud of as you have endeavored to get into? Nonprofit leadership. Oh, Patton, that is such an open-ended question because it's really hard to narrow it down. So I've got two parts for you on this. One is a little more philosophical and then one's a more contextual to nonprofit work. But as I've been thinking about this, I realized after, um, you know, being in broadcast and then being in education, being a business owner, 
being a pastor and now being honored to be able to be the CEO of Lifespan Services, that what I'm most proud through all of that, I believe, is that I've been able to be a friend to a lot of people. And I've been able to carry those friendships across the decades. And I'm not just talking about creating rapport, but I'm proud that folks and colleagues and peers, they, they, they call me and they're interested in my opinion, but they're also interested in my listening ear. And uh, I can ask the probing questions. So part one of that is I'm most proud to be a friend. And I hope when they lay me down and etch it in my tombstone, that somebody will write on that tombstone. He was my friend. Um, nice. A little more contextual answer for that. I'm proud, so proud um, of what Lifespan Services and that Lifespan Stewardship team we've been able to do over the last 18 months. Nobody could have predicted uh, a global pandemic and a national emergency. And we we are in the the person-to-person service business. I mean, we we care for people. And so it's important that we be able to do that face-to-face. And when the pandemic started, the Lifespan Stewardship team was able to pull up their bootstraps. Uh, we had daily calls that started at 7 a.m. We did this seven days a week for the first three months of the pandemic. Wow. And we had a single goal, which was to preserve the solvency of this organization and make sure that we came out the other side effectively and smoothly and intact. And that's exactly what that team did. So I think right now at this point, I'd have to write that down is I, I am most proud that that team was able to preserve the solvency of such a great organization through some very tenuous situations and some right. very steep challenges. And everybody knows all that. We don't have to cover all that. It's just been a harrowing last 18 months, particularly in the nonprofit world. And I'm proud that, of what we've done. Good for you for lifting it up. And nonprofit leaders everywhere need that encouragement. And they should be proud of what they have gone through and how they have persevered to, to allow the important missions of organizations like yours, Ken, to endure. In fact, I'm going to ask you a question about that. But I love the fact also that you lift up the kind of friendship element. You are a fantastic relationship builder. And, and good for nonprofit leaders to think about how you tie previous careers and, and other aspects of your life and interweave them into your current role, which you have done. But before I forget, Ken, what is Lifespan? Talk to some of our listeners who may not be familiar (laughs) with the great work you're doing. What is it? Yeah, the mission and passion of Lifespan is to help individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities um, have education, enrichment, empowerment, so that they can be as independent as possible in their communities, that they can live, work, and play in those communities. So Lifespan has about 86 different services that we offer across 23 North Carolina counties. We could go into all of that, but it's really touching people to people. Uh, We serve those whom society would easily cast off and consider to be the least or the last in society. Um, Some people want to use the term special needs or disabilities, but we believe everybody has abilities. And our job is to go in and illuminate those abilities and help them flourish and be the best version of themselves. We have about 500 employees. We don't call them employees. Lifespan calls them ambassadors. And I think it's interesting to note on that, I had uh, gone on a business trip and I was not able to stay in the conference hotel in Baltimore. So I ended up in a boutique hotel 
a few blocks down from the conference area. And it was amazing. They tended to everything and they were just on top of it. I'd never had such service. And I asked one of the young ladies there, I said, what is it about the employees here? And she said, oh, we're not employees. She said, we're ambassadors. She said, everything that touches you touches us. We have a vested interest in making sure you're cared for. That really resonated with me. And I came back and I talked to the Lifespan Stewardship team. And it was not just a push a button and we're going to do this in one day. But we began to roll that out. And it's not just language, but it is that the people who work at Lifespan they have the ability to be vested in this organization. We want to tend to them and take care of them in such a way that they could go anywhere and work, but that they will want to stay with us. And so we don't have employees, Patton. We have ambassadors. So uh, valuable advice for everyone listening to think about. Indeed, everyone in your organization is an ambassador. And do you treat them as such? I love Indeed. the fact you've, you've used that language literally with your teammates. And, and I just think every person listening ought to consider how do we reinforce that ambassadorial role that our organizations have? Well, let's call it that. And good for you for doing exactly that. Um, thank you for lifting up your team. Thank you for articulating what lifespan is. And of course, I'm struck by like so many of our colleagues, Ken, in this space that we're dealing with seven days a week type activity. Um, hopefully that is uh, eased up a little bit, although I know the nonprofit life and leadership is never uh, one that you can totally relax, I guess. Did the, the pandemic create any efficiency or organizational kind of style that you've adopted that maybe has helped you still manage all the things you have to manage? I don't know that I could, could say there's one style that emerged, but it did pull back the veil. Um, and it allowed us to see the priorities. It allowed us to focus on what was important. And we began to see things that we were striving to do that really didn't have consequences. Um, they were minuscule, but yet we were expending a lot of energy on them. So we laid those aside. And I know a little bit later on, we'll talk about strategic vision plan, but um, we really came through the pandemic to ask the question, what are our guardrails? And we want to live within those guardrails. We want to reinforce and embellish what we're doing well and the things we're not doing well, then we want to consider, should we stop doing them? And there's some things that we stopped doing. Uh, and I think that's been good yep. for us. So the veil was ripped back and we were able to see what was really important to the success of our mission. Well, I'm glad and, and interesting that you used, again, the pandemic, like many organizations, I think, to reevaluate. And I wonder if, uh, in fact, I've talked to colleagues who are saying, yeah, maybe we're not going to keep doing some of the things we did prior to the pandemic. We learned we can do without them or we can adjust and do them better. And so it sounds like, Ken, you all had that kind of evaluation as well. Yeah, Patton. And I think, too, that, you know, when life is good and when I use the phrase life is good, I mean, when the P&Ls are sharp and everything's hitting on all cylinders and the funds are there and the state's behaving the way they should, you know, we, we tend to it, we, we rest and relax a little bit and that's good, but we tend to get lazy. The pandemic would not let us be lazy. Yep. Um, and I think that reinforced too. We saw where our gifting was. Uh, I was able to see some very strong gifts in my team. And what we're attempting to do now is um, give them the resources they need to continue to build on those strengths. Love that. Let me ask you this, Ken. How do you stay organized? What are your go-to tactics personally to keep up with everything <laughs> you have to keep up with? 
You know, Pat, let me just let me say this. Um, this point in my life, I'm so honored and blessed and um, just thankful where I am. But I, I am a business owner. Um, so I do have that to tend to. I'm an ordained minister and I do pastor a church and I am the CEO of what I think in the last book of lists was the 11th largest nonprofit in Mecklenburg County. Wow. So, plus I'm a husband um, and I'm a son and I'm a friend. So some days I get up and I'm like, okay, which hat am I wearing today? Right. Uh, what hat am I going to put on? Um, and so the organization part is to all of it transfers over because it's all about serving other people, even in the business aspect of it. It was education and we were training folks to have lives that were meaningful for, for them. So it's all about serving people, but you do need to be organized. And for me, um, the one thing I'm going to go to is I am a note taker. Just at every conversation, I'm taking down notes and I right. have book after book of notes that I've taken. Um, there are five members on the Lifespan Stewardship team. And for each of those members, I have a notebook and we have uh, biweekly one-on-ones the one-on-ones are an opportunity for me to ask the question, and I always preface the meetings with this, what does support for me look like to you? I want to know what it looks like manifest on a day-to-day -day basis. So in that notebook, I'm taking notes on what they say. I also, in those meetings, want to know what's happening, uh, what do they think I should know, and one of my mantras is that the um, ugly truth is better than a pretty lie. Right. I need you to tell me the truth, and so in those meetings, they do that, and I write those things down. Then shortly after that meeting, usually within a day, I'll go back to that notebook, and I'm going to use a highlighter. And I'm going to determine which parts of this gets tethered out to which other departments, what parts are mine to tend to. And then I'll make notes in that notebook for the next meeting as follow-up. Um, I've attempted to migrate that to OneNote. Right. And I love technology and I do a little bit of that, but I, I love to hold the book. I love to hold the pen. So I, I got notebooks laying everywhere. <laughs> I bet you do. That's fascinating. But it, and, and you answered my question in terms of yeah, how do you kind of digest those conversations and those notes. So is that literally almost like an, an evening ritual on a daily basis or weekly basis? Or how do you process the volume of notes you must be taking? Yeah, I wish I could say that it was daily. It is not because the day can quickly get away from you as fires pop up here and there. But it is a weekly ritual. Uh, and it usually happens on Friday. Fridays are days that at Lifespan, we have a couple meetings. Uh, and then it's a, what we can do as a catch-up day. And so on my catch-up day, which is Friday, I go back. Um, and sometimes, you know, the older I get, Pat, and the worse my handwriting is. <laughs> right. So if I don't get back to that handwriting rather quickly, um, I can invest an a, a exorbitant amount of time trying to figure out what two words are. Um, so I try to get back to those notebooks rather quickly. And sometimes it's not at the end of the week. It's within 24, 48 hours. Fantastic. And again, I'm just delighted you're willing to lift up your kind of rituals and I hope our listeners will think about, you know, what rituals they have and how they might apply something like this. Yeah. Pat and I can even go back to a notebook for uh, when you and I met last and I've got notes from what we said. So if you're interested, wow. I got them. <laughs> so if I forget as well, you've got me covered though. So that's oh, great. Yeah, and I think you know me well enough. I'm going to remind you. I'm a little bit OCD about those things. In, indeed. But you have to do that sometimes to keep up with all you have going on. And that is a good transition, I think, Ken, to for all of your kind of professional skills and experiences, let's talk about when you first pondered nonprofit leadership, why you did it, and maybe what, before we get into some of the lessons learned once you arrived in that chair, I'm curious what questions you had before you jumped into the role at Lifespan. 
Yeah, um, power pack question there. Um, you know, working in uh, church work is nonprofit work. Uh, and so I was already leading a congregation through the rigors of that nonprofit, but it was nothing on the scale of lifespan. I was pretty set with the business I had. It had been very good to me. Um, it's a business that I co-own with two people in Charlotte. Uh, and we had run that organization, Carolina School of Broadcasting, for 30 years as an accredited institution. Um, but there, there came a time in there that I, I felt not burned out, but I felt like I had absolutely given all I could over a 25-year period to that organization. And I felt like it was time for some new blood. So I was, I was, I was trying to figure out and discern what's next for me. And I was pastoring the business uh, was happening and it really came out of, some people would say, oh, it came out of left field. I do, I do believe in divine providence. Hope that doesn't offend anybody. Um, But I I got a text sitting in my home from a friend um, and said, how would you like to lead uh, the 11th largest nonprofit in Charlotte? And I immediately said to him, you've sent this to the wrong Ken on your text list because <laughs> right. um, we haven't, I, I don't know anything about this. Um, but he said, no, we need to chat about it. So it began to materialize and there were some meetings with some board members and I began to consider it and discern and meditate on it and think about next steps and where I wanted to be, but what I had left to give. Um, and through the meetings, I found Lifespan to be such a prime organization that focuses on the transformation of lives. And it would allow me to transition all the experience I had in leading a business, being a business owner, being a servant leader as a pastor. I was able to come to an organization where every day our job is to serve other people and help them to be the best version of themselves. So um, the board offered me the position. And three years ago in January, I found myself stuff seated at lifespan in a sector that I had nothing, I, I didn't know anything about. Wow. Um, now my spouse works in the sector and is a community supported job coach and job supported employer. Um, so I knew that from that experience every day, my spouse came home and was like, Oh my God, this has just been the best day. These people are transforming my life. I thought I was helping them. And I just saw what was happening there. And now I get to be a part of it. Um, and it, it, it changes me every day to be able to be part of this. So you asked the question, how did I get there? I didn't seek it. Right. But I just right. think everything in our lives, regardless of what it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all leads us. It is all part of the fabric of who we are. And it leads us to a point where all of that can be used. And, and I hope that I am doing an efficient job of using all the lessons I've learned through my life as we uh, travel with lifespan. Well, indeed you have. And that's such a fantastic story. Many of us came into nonprofit leadership through a side door, through perhaps divine providence. However we did, uh, it's good that we get talented people like you in the mix. I guess before we jump into because you've got five distinct keys to success, things you've learned and things that you have built upon in your nonprofit leadership. But indeed, you brought the role of a pastor. So you understood in many respects nonprofit leadership. But before you took the the role at Lifespan, did you have any questions? What 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 made you nervous? <laughs> what elements of of taking this role? Because again, I know Ken, there are listeners out there thinking, hey, I might make the jump. And I'm wondering what you thought about before you made the jump. Yeah. The job description scared me to death. Um, The job description for the CEO position at Lifespan was four pages long, and it was like a 10 or 11 font. Um, And I said to them, I don't think there's any way one person can do all of this. It was overwhelming. 
So I wanted to know about the team. I wanted to know who was in place. Um, and when I learned about them and their tenure, and I began to ask folks what they thought about the leadership team, I realized that I could be part of what they were doing. Now I needed to work my way in and have them accept me. Right. Um, but it was a great team. And here's what I would say about that. I am not afraid to surround myself with people who are better than me, smarter than me, more intelligent. I don't have to be the smartest guy, the smartest person in the room when we have meetings. And, and, and I've, I hope we've created that kind of culture. We have created a culture where it's safe. And I can say, I don't know, but I'm going to work to get the answers to this. And my team has the right to say, I don't know. Right. I don't have an answer for that. Um, so moving into lifespan, uh, there's a book called The First 90 Days. Oh, love uh, it. Yep. I grabbed that book and read through it and highlighted it and marked it up. Marked it up. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine from college, 40-year friend who worked with CEOs. She has her own consulting company, Altman Initiatives. And I said, Denise, what would you say to me? What, what is going to be the blind spots I need to be aware of? And so she graciously spent two or three one-hour conversations with me, helping me um, navigate what might be a map for stepping in there and things that might be landmines and wouldn't be. And it was great to have that sort of assistance and advice from somebody who had that kind of experience. Um, and then I asked them, to be patient with me yeah and they were um that's yeah well i'm struck by several things one uh, the five keys you're about to share the first of which of course is the relationship with your team and, and i'm finding that helpful in evaluating an opportunity as a nonprofit leader clearly you saw a very talented team at lifespan which i'm guessing encouraged you even more to to be part of this and maybe let's start with that, Ken, because you, as you think about the five keys to your nonprofit leadership, that relationship with the team is important. So what did you do early on? What do you continue to do to build that ever important role with your colleagues? Yeah, there's so much to say about that. Um, the first thing that I, I said to them is I, I am an open book. Ask me any question that you have. Um, and there, nothing is off the table. And so we sat around in a room and they were to ask, they, you know, they asked me how I got there, what I'd done in my past. They asked me about my personal life. Where was I raised? They wanted to know. And I shared all of that information with them. As I said, it was, I, I was just purpose to be an open book to them in that moment. And then we began to have, um, leadership training together, uh, lifespan decided through um, a grant from our board chair that we would invest in the DISC. Right. And uh, we brought in a DISC trainer from Dallas, Texas named Sam Farina. And Sam spent three or four days with us up front uh, navigating the DISC. And, um, you know, I was new to the team, so all of it was new to me. But I sat there and watched as they, their eyes were opened. And it's, oh, this is why I do what I do. Oh, this is why I behave the way that I behave. Oh, that's why I armor up, as Brene Brown would say, um, that was hugely important for us at the beginning. It was hugely important for me. It helped us to see each other and to find our gifting. Uh, I have always, from the first day I stepped in there, asked them, and I said this question earlier, what does support for me look like to you? 
And I want them to be honest with me on that. I want to know what support from the CEO looks like for them. I've got people on the Lifespan Stewardship Team, Patton, who have uh, been there 20 years, 24 wow. years, 18 right. years, 19 years. They, they are a wealth of information. You've got to give them some autonomy in areas. And you can't be so territorial as a leader that they can't flourish with their gifting. And if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. Right. And we've created a space where they can say that. And then we will resolve that issue and move forward. But my goal always was to help them understand their gifting. And then the other question is, what is it you want to do here that will make you more fulfilled? Are you looking at a sideward move into a different department? Or what do you think you want to do? And we've created a space for them to be able to say, this would be very fulfilling for me if I were able to also do this, or if I could maybe migrate from that to this. Uh, and we've made some changes to the pieces of the puzzle to the Rubik's Cube at Lifespan. Uh, the other thing about the team is creating a safe space. We yes. have to be honest. Um, and and I, I, I fear that leaders who don't want to hear the truth are weak because they can't handle it. Um, but I'd much rather have the ugly truth than a pretty lie, because when I get the truth, then we can figure out where we go from here. Um, but if it's all this subterfuge, and, and I've, I've, I've worked in organizations before yes. where that occurred, and I knew that that was not what I wanted to do. I think everybody in our life is a teacher. They teach us how to be or how not to be. And I pulled from my careers and people that I had interacted with. And, and I thought, what is the best in them? What was it that really drew me to them? And I try to emulate that with my team. And I think the team would say that we've created a culture at Lifespan where these folks are appreciated. Their gifting is appreciated. Um, their opinions matter to me. I want them to speak up and there is no retribution or punitive action. Um, well, this is how we move the thing forward. Well, several takeaways there, uh, all of which I like. Uh, of course, Ken, it would have been easier for you to come in and establish an efficient um, top-down approach. Hey, I'm new. I'm the leader. Here's the way I'd like things to operate. But you indeed listen first. Um, but I, you know, again, just to play devil's advocate, so you're willing to adapt to each member of your leadership team because I'm guessing each one of them has a slightly different style. They absolutely have different styles. And, and the tenure over the last three years in January there, and, you know, we've had our rough spots. We've had those moments uh, where it's been me and one of the team members, and, and we just had to get real with each other. Um, and we had to be honest with each other. And, and I had to say, hey, this is how I see it. And as the CEO, this buck is going to stop at my desk, and I appreciate what you're bringing, but can we talk about it in this different way? And there have been a couple of times where I've had to override a decision. Right. Um, but when you create trust and respect before you do that, then you maintain the trust and respect through that situation and you get out on the other side. Um, recently, I, I, made a, I made a bad decision right. uh, and I won't always make a right decision, but my team has come around me and they've gathered around me and supported me through this bad decision. Uh, and we're getting to the other side of it because we created a culture of honesty and integrity and respect and trust. And communication, uh, right, Ken? You established uh, a clear communication, which you're right. Many of our colleagues don't feel that kind of uh, safety 
to, to allow those kind of conversations to take place. And Patton, so, can, I, can, I, can I just say something about communication? And absolutely. I come from the communication industry. I had a tenure in broadcast. Um, this culture is the worst at communicating. We have so much technology at our disposal, which should make communication more efficient. Yep. But we're more distracted and more disjointed because of it. And we're not effective communicators. And let me say this. Just because you press a button on an email does not mean you've communicated. <laughs> um, in, yeah. in broadcasting, it takes a transmitter and a receiver for communication to occur. And if either of those is not present, you haven't communicated. And failed communication always leads to failed expectations, which always delivers extreme frustration. So we've had some real deep conversations about communication. We've had some earthy conversations about when I send you a text, what do I expect? Yes. A response in two hours, three hours, four hours. When I send you an email, do I need to hear from you today? If I place a call, do I need a call back? What is it we expect? And there's another thing with communication. Uh, and my team has taken on to this. We, it amazes me sometimes what I say is not at all what people hear. Right. And so it's important for me to say to them, okay, what did you hear? And they've got now, well, they will parrot that to me and they will say, okay, here's what I heard you say. And they will tell me what they've heard in that conversation. And we are able to, in that moment, correct anything that was misunderstood um, because we have the ability to say and parrot back. Okay, here's what I heard. And a lot of times it's not what I meant to say or it didn't come out the way I wanted it. So we were able to correct it right there. But communication, good grief. We are not effective communication no. communicators in this culture. And we have to do a more efficient job of communication. So glad you left that up. And and you answered my question, which is, all right, Ken, what do we do about it? You know, because you're right. We all are are guilty of just dumping a voicemail or sending that email, sending that text, expecting that because we conceived of this uh, idea or this message, uh, you know, we're done. But it sounds like, Ken, you all have dove into the granular nature of communication so that we don't continue to wonder what people are thinking. You, you, <laughs> if you go around wondering what they're thinking about in an organization, the organization will go up the cliff. Yes, uh, There has to be specificity. And so you don't need to go around wondering. You do need to have those granular conversations. I bet most of our nonprofit colleagues don't, and we're both being intentionally provocative, but I don't think many nonprofits have that kind of clarity around, all right, what is the expectation of text, email, voicemail, phone call, any of that communication? And we wonder why the culture sometimes gets divisive or at least frustrated and good for you for kind of creating a, a plan for communication. Yeah, it is the frustration level that can get heightened when communication is not effective. Um, and, and I found too in communication, Pat, and I think this is important. This is Simon Sinek, TED Talk. I, I, can, I can dole out a directive and communicate it, and they can say, okay, I'll do this. But I found that if I can give the why and be as transparent as possible in that communication as to why this is the directive, the buy-in is much greater. And then the joy in doing the directive feels the mission. Um, so with my communication, I always try to communicate the what and the why right. to the Good. team. Great advice. Well, and I would guess a lot of these principles, we can move into the second point in a critical relationship, obviously, for any nonprofit leader is that with their board. And so 
you and I both have talked to nonprofit colleagues who sometimes struggle with that. You know, their board is either micromanaging them or they're disengaged. And so we're trying to find that balance. So I'm wondering how you approached your relationship with your board when you joined Lifespan. Yeah, it was tenuous at first because I have a friendship with the board chair and he and I had honest conversations going in that we would have to make sure we keep our friendship intact, but we'd also need to have that CEO to board chair relationship. And we were honest about that. It's all about setting expectations. Um, it's about saying to your board chair, what do you expect from me? Uh, and, I, and I've seen, I've read a lot of blogs on, you know, it's the board chair's responsibility to do A, B, and C. It's a CEO's responsibility to do D, E, and F. I think that has to be negotiated with your board chair. Yep. Um, and it, it's honest conversations. It's about accountability. All right. I want to be held accountable, but I need to know what your expectations are so that I can be held accountable. And, and our board chair and I had that conversation and have those ongoing conversations. Um, the board brings with it a lot of information and a lot of initiatives to board meetings. But what I've been looking for is engagement outside of that two-hour bi-monthly meeting. Interesting. Yep. Um, how, how can you, what is it you bring to the table as a board member and how would you like to give that to support the mission of lifespan? And I think we've done, we've made some great strides in that. We still have to work hard uh, to make that occur. Uh, one thing I've found is that a lot of people will come to a board, their board member, but they come from the for-profit world and they sit on a nonprofit board. There's a lot that is alike in both sectors, nonprofit and for-profit, but there's a lot that's extremely different. Yep. Um, For-profit people can come to your board with this acquire and merger and purchase um, mentality. And it's not that simple. It's not, you can't just in a nonprofit world go out and buy 51% of another nonprofit and acquire them. It doesn't work <laughs> that way. Right. Um, there's much more nuanced relationship building if you're going to be in the growth mode. So you have to, I've had to tamp down some of that for-profit mentality. I, I rent a for-profit and I own a for-profit, but the nonprofit is much more nuanced and it helps to have people on the board who have nonprofit experience. We are fortunate in that we have the former CEO of one of the most productive nonprofits still in Charlotte. And she brings a wealth of information and knowledge and has been able to help me put the governor on some of these conversations because it nonprofit world can't move as quickly as sometimes they do in the for-profit world. Um, That's such a good and, point. Well, and sorry to interrupt you, Ken, but I think often nonprofit CEOs are, are kind of focused on getting the corporate titans, the business types you just described. But I think that's such a good idea. You've been intentional, what Lifespan has, about bringing other nonprofit leaders, which, by the way, some would say that would make them a little self-conscious or insecure about having another nonprofit CEO on the board. But clearly, you've blended that very well. Oh, my goodness. Um <laughs> This particular um, individual took a company in Charlotte from $50,000 a year to over $45 million a year in her tenure. Wow. Why would I not want that experience? Why would I not want her speaking into my life? I would. She's been there. She's traveled the road. She's met the challenges. So um, I, I look for those kinds of people to bring onto the board. Um, well, and 
and you've done a great job of, of that blend. I'm, I'm also struck by the fact you, it seems you're treating your board as individuals, which sounds obvious, but I think a lot of us look at the board as a collective and you've like with your team, you've identified their individual gifts and looked for ways to bring that forward. H- have you adapted over the, you know, the three years in terms of how you orient new board members or anything in particular you've done to create that dynamic with the board? We, we have, um, and I've started leading the new board member orientation, uh, attempt to create rapport with a potential board member. We've uh, instituted a new friend raising concept on the board. Um, we want our board to friend raise. I want a friend raise, but just because we friend raise doesn't mean that person is suited to be on the board. And so there's a bit of a process through which the board helps me with and I help them with that we, we court, we date. Um, right. And to see, and we're honest about it with the person we're talking to, um, because it, it may not be a fit for them. So there is a process that we've adopted in the last couple of years in friend raising, and the board governance committee is very strong in this, and then the nomination form, and then the meeting. And that board governance committee is really strong about going out and hanging out with these folks, having coffee, having lunch, getting to know them, see what makes them tick what it is they want to bring to the table. Um, and, and we've, we've seen some really good fruit of that labor. That's yeah, excellent. Span. Well, that's excellent. And you're right. It, it avoids frankly, a mistake of just filling a spot and then realizing six months later that, wow, this person really is not a good fit for our board for all the reasons you're helping orient and get them, uh, acclimated to what life at lifespan will be on the board. Um, can I'm transition, uh, Excellent. Number one, staff. Number two, board. The third of your five essential keys, I guess, is the community. And I'll pose the question this way. When you started the role, did you view yourself? All right, I need to get out into the community, you know, as the leader, or how did you view community relations in this new role as nonprofit CEO? I think there's an expectation that a CEO of a nonprofit will also be a fundraiser. And I think you have to accept that part of it. Um, there is a need and you must. There's not just an expectation, but you have to do it. You, you are the face in the community. So it's important to be part of uh, Rotary Clubs. It's important to be part of Summit. It's important to meet with other CEOs, um, but it's also important to be places where movers and shakers and people who have capacity and affluence need to hear the story of lifespan so that I could say to them, you know, you have capacity and influence. I won't use that term, right? but, you know, let me show you how you can do something bigger and greater than any of us. Let me introduce you to lifespan. So that is a key component of my job uh, is community relationships. And here's where it's very tough. Um, Anytime you shake the hands with somebody who is a mover and a shaker, and I'll use that term, um, they understand that at some point you're going to have an ask for them. Right. But I have trouble in, I don't, I do not ever want to have a relationship be simply manipulation or any type of manipulation. I'm not attempting to manipulate them into doing anything. I just have found a really great organization that's doing really great work. And I'd love to tell you that story if you're interested in hearing it. And then there's a team, um, the development team, who can come in and maybe do a little bit more of the granular capacity and influence. 
uh, and proclivity work with those individuals. But my job is to simply say, I got a great story to tell, man. I have found, I found a great place <laughs> and you need to come see this movie or you need to read this book. It's called Lifespan Services. And let me tell you about it. And yeah, at some point we're going to ask, um, but we're going to ask because I think you have intrinsic good in you and you want to do something to change the world. Well, let me tell you what, we're changing the world. Um, and you're just a conduit for that, right? You're not arm twisting. You're not manipulating. You're creating a relationship that both sides benefit from. Indeed. Indeed. And it has to be that way. I've, I've, I've been the object of manipulation before. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it doesn't feel good. No. And, and you're right. It will not have long-term value like no. the relationships you're trying to build it. Uh, again, like many of your colleagues, Ken, you could stay very busy, never leaving the office, so to speak. So in terms of this community relations kind of philosophy you bring, do you find yourself having to consciously say, all right, I need to get out X number of days a month? Or is there some kind of goal you set to get in front of those rotary clubs and other external uh, opportunities? Or how do you kind of view that with all you have going on? If you're not intentional in this office, this seat, uh, the day-to-day will come in and sneak your day away quickly. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, the inbox will have 50 new emails this morning, and some of them do need your attention. But it has to be strategic in that, you know, I'm going to visit this number of places in the next six months. Uh, and, and you may not always hit that mark, and you can't beat yourself up for not hitting it because there are things that arise that you have to tend to. But without intentionality in that, I can tell you what, you'll be sequestered in your office and never get out. Yeah, I've seen that. And you have to be very intentional, don't you? It, because there's no doubt you can be busy as long as you sit there unless you uh, get out. And you're, I guess, a good segue to the planning process that is the fourth item on our five key list here. Um You've been involved in lots of planning efforts, strategic plans, and other organizations. What was your approach coming into Lifespan in terms of the plan you inherited and the mark you wanted to leave on strategic and organizational planning? Yeah. When I came to Lifespan, the strategic plan was a 20-page document. Um, First page was very pretty with graphics and our mission statement. And the second page had in big, bold letters something to this nature, we will triple the revenue of this organization in four years. Hmm. So see, see what they're living by there is they're living by for-profit metrics. And the job in nonprofit is to balance that with the mission. And sometimes the mission is going to say, okay, we, we can't triple in revenue in three years if yeah. we continue to do this mission. Now, it's okay to have that as a goal, but uh, we decided and we chatted with the Lifespan Stewardship Team. And let me, let me say something about that. It used to be called the Executive Leadership Team. And that was creating silos between that team and the rest of the organization. So what we realized is our job is to take this wonderful organization. And for a period of time, we've been given the gift to steward it so that it can function into the future when we're long gone. So we became the Lifespan Stewardship Team. And that's what we do is we steward this. So when I chatted with them, 
I could sense with them every time we started that strategic plan. And that was the first thing we read is we will triple in revenue in three years. They immediately had a defensive posture. Uh, in this sector that we're in very quickly, it, your, your revenue is dependent on capitated rates, it's dependent on the state budget, it's dependent on funders, it's dependent on insurance companies. And you can say all day long, I want to triple my revenue in three years, but there are a lot of headwinds that are just going to cut you off at the knees if that's your first strategic point. So we brought in a wonderful consulting company called... Um, <laughs> Who did we bring in, Patton? Grateful to partner with you on that initiative. Uh, But I'm (laughs) so struck by your point that if we put a headline on our strategic plan, like the one you mentioned, it's kind of hard to expand and brainstorm and go in any other direction, is it not? It is. And it was just taking their energy. It was was taking their focus. Um, And so we realized early on that that was not going to be the first thing on our list. We, We do have a goal of increasing our reach and our revenue, but it's going to marry our mission. It's going to marry our mission. Um, In the past, the board had done uh, some strategic planning for this organization, and then it was rained down on the leadership team. Uh, There have been times in the past where the board didn't care anything at all about strategic planning. And so the leadership team did it. And this time, Patton, as you know, we came together to do this. And, and there was trepidation on both sides. Um, the leadership team was leery of the board. Yeah. Um, and then the board was kind of leery of letting the leadership team do it. So we worked together over a six month, seven month. Oh man, it went into eight months, didn't it? Patton? <laughs> Indeed um, it did. <laughs> I do appreciate your generosity, my friend. Um, but we, we spent that time uh, helping both of those entities come together And I wanted the Lifespan Stewardship team to have a big voice in what this strategic vision plan, which is an aspire to excellence by 2024. And I think we have a strong plan. It becomes your guardrails. Right. Um, You know, in the for-profit world, there's strategic um, mergers and acquisitions, of course, but then things will pop up. Uh, And it's a little easy to turn and go, okay, we're going to grab that company today. Whereas in the nonprofit world, you have to make sure, okay, this great idea came up. This guy wants to sell us a horse farm. Okay, a horse farm. Um, Does that fit our guardrails? Right. Does that fit our strategic visioning plan? Now, I'm using horse farm to be as just outrageous as I can. But it could be that that horse farm is available. And you might say, okay, this is worthwhile to change our strategic plan. But more times than not, you're going to go, okay, team, we could buy that horse farm, but it does not fit these guardrails that we have set or the guardrails by which we're going to live. Yeah, let's call it what it is, right? Yeah. So it becomes a team effort to stay within that. We've determined, too, that we wanted to, on our strategic vision plan, have a spot for every goal, every benchmark, every objective. Uh, What are the challenges? What are the roadblocks? What are keeping us from getting to this? And so every three months, the Lifespan Stewardship Team has committed to meeting and having a Let's Talk About Challenges Day. And we will go through the challenges that are attempting to close the door on some of these things and figure out if the door needs to be closed or if we can in some way, how would we overcome those challenges? Uh, and, and we've just initiated this with our new fiscal year. And so we'll have our first meeting in September regarding challenges to the strategic vision plan. Let me, let me ask you that. I want to clarify that. 
You're saying you devote a quarterly meeting where each member of your team comes with the key challenges that they face. And let's get it on the table and talk about it. Or how literally do you kind of maneuver that? Yeah, not not just key challenges in general, but we're looking at the strategic plan. And this is where your department was. This is what we determined and discerned we wanted to go. So in looking at that, what are you facing that is keeping you from getting there? Nice. Nice. And then it becomes a team effort to figure out how we can as a team either overcome those challenges or decide, you know what, that strategic point, not valid anymore. Now, we won't just throw them out the door, of course, like that. That's a little sure. more simplistic. Right. But there'll be conversation around it. Well, and that what well, I'm struck by that. Well, one, how you balance the perhaps differing approach to planning from your board and your leadership team, and you balance that beautifully. And then also how you address what many nonprofit leaders I think are facing now, the, the pandemic forced a lot of us to look very near term. And so I'm wondering, Ken, how maybe that quarterly meeting allows you to stay focused on near term issues, but you remain focused also on that longer, what, three year vision. Yep. We did a three year vision this time. Um, could have been five, but we opted for three. Um, and, and here is, I think a very key point that you make. Um, once you've invested the time, energy, and resources into creating that strategic vision plan, and it looks very pretty, it's a great PowerPoint, <laughs> right. but unless, unless you live into it, it just becomes a pretty PowerPoint. It just becomes a really nice little collated book that sits on your desk. Yeah. Um, as a CEO, it is my job to bring that SVP to the forefront in conversations and to remind the lifespan stewardship team, here's where we say where we're going. You're bringing this conversation to me. How does it fit? Is this where we want to be? Does it roll into any of this at all? Such a good way to put it. It, it keeps the plan a living document, doesn't it? Instead has, of has to, be, has to be living, has to be living. Right. And we can't just kind of wait for the annual retreat each summer or whatever to then talk about it. You make it part of the culture, the conversation uh, for all involved Um well, Ken, I want to move to the fifth, and you're such a good champion for the concept of self-care and professional development. You've lived it. You've encouraged it. But tell me about that. Uh, again, in this role, what did you bring in terms of that philosophy, and how have you tried to enact it as in your role as CEO at Lifespan? Yep. Um, Patton, this, this really, at the core of this is going to go down to pastoring and what I learned in uh, seminary. Right. Um, a pond that pours out but never has anything pouring into it will become green and stagnant. Always. It's just it's the way nature works. Great illustration. Yep. So you have to have times, work-life balance, where you're pouring into yourself. And for some reason, we have in this culture, we feel guilty about that. We feel guilty if we take a week off for ourselves. Um, we feel like we're letting somebody down or we uh, maybe we're narcissistic enough to believe that that organization can't run without us. But we are no good to anybody if we're not pouring into ourselves. And what that looks like is uh, some sort of getaway where it's, you know, if you like to fish, go fishing for a couple of days. <laughs> right. If you like to hang out with your college guys and or girls and uh, go to movies or play basketball, go do it. It's, it's also something very um, 
you know, coming again from the religious angle here, there's, there's a meditative component to that. There's a reading and pouring into your life. There's a sitting still and there's a listening and being quiet. And it's very difficult to sit and be quiet with yourself because yourself wants to, your clamoring ego is going to start talking to you and it's going to list the 6,482 things that you need to do because you need to be good at what you do. You need people to like you. Your ego is going to say, but the, the only way you can lead effectively is if you pour into your life, you have to be intentional about taking time weekly, even daily, right. a, a, a daily morning routine, a daily evening routine, something that takes you away from everything else and just simply lets you be and enjoy being who you are are in that moment and listening for that inner voice that will tell you the truth. Um, well put. Well, it, I'm struck by one, the kind of motivation your comments bring to nonprofit leaders, both for themselves and of course, encouraging it for their colleagues, which we both know, not all nonprofit leaders encourage that, which is unfortunate. Um, and, and Ken, for you, you could rest on your laurels and, and you're not going to say that, but I'll say it for you. You've had great experience. You could be like, all right, I've, I've kind of got where I am and I can manage this, but you continue to be a voracious lifetime learner. What, what, what motivates you there? And, and why do you think that's important for nonprofit leaders to continue to kind of build their professional situation? You know, Patton, I don't know where, I don't know if it came from a third grade teacher or a fourth grade teacher. I do remember Miss Patterson, my fourth grade teacher. And think about it at fourth grade, how old are you? 10 years old. <laughs> right. Um, but she had this mantra and she said it over and over. And, and she was an African-American teacher in a mostly white Southern school. Uh, but she said, don't be a wondering generality, be a meaningful specific. Wow. When I look back on that now, I realize what it would have cost her to say that in 1969, 1970. But also, you know, I, I think those people speak into our lives and, and tell us to be more. How do you be more? Well, you you got to get out. You got to learn. You got to engage with folks. You've got to read. I do love education. I do love sitting in a classroom. I love the banter. I love the conversation. I love picking a professor's brain. I love studying. Um, it, it's just it's part of who I am. And I find that to be a great solace, too, is is some time to study, to take a book and not just read it and go through it and be done with it. Um, but to pull out some points and see who else is tethered to that, who's saying some of the same things. How can I make that part of who I am? And I, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know if it was my mom or dad or my teacher, but I do love education. Well, and you bring it to your team as well. And I was going to ask you from a pragmatic or practical standpoint, how do you do professional development for your colleagues? It is kind of they all have a budget and or they can come to you and appeal for professional development. How do you work that? There wasn't one at Lifespan. It is, it is now part of our fiscal budget this year. Uh, and I'm encouraging each of them to get a leadership coach. And, lead, and choosing a leadership coach is very personal. So I, I could suggest somebody to them, but I want right. them to figure out who it is that they want to have as their mentor. Um, but a leadership coach, um, we're having a meeting on Monday with the Lifespan Stewardship Team with, our, uh, with my leadership coach from Dallas, Texas, and he'll spend nice. two hours with us. And we're going to be talking about emotional intelligence. Um, one thing I've said to them is you need to raise up leaders. We need to train our folks who work for you and your teams to be the best version of themselves, but also train them to take your job. 
because at some point in the future, you're going to want to retire. And right. when you retire, we need somebody to step into that position. So we are not afraid to train up. Um, and, and all of the LST is doing that with their teams. Um, Lifespan also has an employee assistance program. And part of that is leadership training that they provide. And I know that several of our teams are already investing in that and taking some training from them. Um, it makes us better at who we are and what we do. Um, yeah, there's a budget. I'm pushing it. Uh, and I'm letting them make their own choices. And if they don't make if they don't make their choices, I will zoom in and make a choice for them. <laughs> That's where, what one area you will step in, right? <laughs> but good for you, because again, too many of our colleagues in the sector don't have that kind of encouragement from the top, and it's only going to make your organization better. And for those that worry that, all right, well, Ken, you're giving them so much professional development, they're going to move on and work for another nonprofit. But I would say you've created a culture that people will want to come work for you, even if there is turnover for what I would consider positive reasons. That is what we are attempting to do. Um, train them so they can go anywhere, but treat them so they stay. Well put. That, last that, question. That is a mantra. Well, it's yeah. a great mantra and it will lead to my last question, but you could take any of the great advice you've already provided our listeners in this episode. But if someone like you three years ago came to you now and said, all right, Ken, I'm thinking about nonprofit leadership. Uh, what advice would you offer? Um. There is a misconception in our culture that you can't be dual. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that, Pat. Yep, yep. In this culture, we believe we're either happy or we're sad. You can't be both. But I've found that you can live in duality, that you can be both happy and sad at the same time. Now I'm going to take that to another level. As a leader with an organization this size, and when you're dealing peer-to-peer -peer and people-to-people -people in an organization that you're caring for individuals, there are going to be challenges. So you're going to get a phone call. And in that phone call, you're going to learn that one of your ambassadors has just lost their mother. Wow. You're going to hang up from that phone call. And the person that walks in your office next is going to tell you that their son or daughter has just gotten accepted at Harvard. So what you have to do as a leader is you live in duality. When, when it's necessary to hold that sadness, you hold it. When it's necessary to hold that gladness, you hold it. And you hold it together so that you're not bringing the sadness from that person into that person's life. You're the, you're the one that's holding it. You're the one that's taking this. You're joyful with the person that's joyful. You're grieving with the person that's grieving. You're not intermingling that feeling with either of them, but you are the one. And so you have to have broad shoulders because I do think... You live in duality. You, you, you will hear something from the organization and it is tragic. There's something starting to happen, particularly in the pandemic. We had this kind of news. But then over here, you got this department that's doing something great. So you're going to have to live in the catastrophe and then move right to the joy the next moment with the other team. It takes a lot of work to do that. But I've, I've come to realize as a leader, you have to be able to live in duality. Does that make great. sense? Absolutely. And, and uh, fascinating and frankly, a different perspective I hadn't considered, but you're absolutely right. Nonprofit leaders are going to have to balance that duality in their lives and certainly in their careers as leaders. So Ken, very grateful for this and a multitude of uh, pieces of advice. If I can ask you, as you know, with every guest, 
you've already lifted up a number of great resources, which I'm going to include in the show notes, but might there be one more book you would recommend that's been meaningful to you among many, I'm sure that you have consumed? Yeah, Patton, I've done my homework for you. So I, <laughs> I'm going to tell you that I have found great solace in Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. Yes. And I also love Susan Scott's Fierce Conversations. One of the greatest books, and it's very small, it's called QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. Yes. It's a very simple read, but it's practicing accountability. But the greatest, the greatest book I can recommend is a historical fiction book called The Boys in the Boat. Really? And it is about the 1933 rowing team at the University of Washington in the midst of the Great Depression who find themselves ending, they end up in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And they've, they've got a head coach, they've got a freshman coach, but there's this guy who's a boat builder and his name is George Pocock. And George lays these lessons, these life lessons. For instance, he says, it is hard to make that boat go as fast as you want to. The enemy is the resistance of the water, but that very water is what supports you. And that very enemy is your friend. So is life. The very problems you must overcome also support and make you strong in overcoming them. That's one of his sage pieces, advice that he gives in that book. And it's just populated with it. Um, it's historical fiction. If you want to see a documentary on it, it's there. But this book, and it's written by Daniel J. Brown. Wow. Highly recommend The Boys in the Boat. I'm getting it. I'm getting a copy. You've convinced me. And course, you added three other bonus books that I will add in our show notes as well. But thank you for lifting up what sounds like a unique and fascinating and inspiring book as well. So Ken, for all that, I'm grateful. Uh, in addition to your resources, your advice, your counsel, uh, wonderful things for our listeners. Where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing at Lifespan? The easiest way is the internet, and that's lifespanservices.org. Lifespanservices.org, Patton. And I count it a privilege to call you my friend, Patton. Ken, thank you very much for joining me on the path. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ken as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you on your professional development journey and really get you thinking about your approach to nonprofit leadership. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Ken, the great work he's doing through Lifespan, and of course, all five of his leadership keys and some good book recommendations to go along with that as well. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path. <music>